was also just so, such a relief to be able to talk to someone and say, here's where I am, this is what I did, and to be able to say, I need help. Because that's one of the, I think, the hardest things. And when I look back at, at my history, there were other times in my life that if I could have just been honest and said, I need help, that maybe it wouldn't have gotten as bad as it did. So the relief to be able to have this person on the phone who wasn't trying to, who's an honest broker, who isn't trying to, you know, mislead me or anything, to be able to just say, I need help. And, and then being like, okay, so let's take a look at what you have and let's see what we can do and let's see what you can manage. Welcome to Real Stories, Journeys of Financial Wellness. I'm your host, Crystal Lugazima. Today's story features Regina. Regina has interacted with GreenPath on three separate occasions, for different reasons and with different outcomes. The first time, after she suddenly became a single parent, she became overwhelmed with debt and was contemplating bankruptcy. While she still ended up going that route, GreenPath was able to provide support for her during this difficult time. Sometime later, she was looking to buy a home and use GreenPath to get a certificate to qualify for home buying programs. The third time, she wasn't satisfied with her progress with her debt repayment, and this time she was able to enroll in a debt management plan. Reflecting on this experience, she wrote to us, quote, My life is 1,000 times better than it used to be the first time I sought GreenPath's help, and this time, GreenPath is helping me keep it this way, end quote. Let's meet Regina and hear her inspiring journey of financial wellness. Regina, so glad that you could join us here today on Real Stories and One of the questions I asked all my guests before we get into how their money story evolves is to think back earlier on uh, in their life. And so what did you learn about money growing up? I didn't learn very much about money. I, um, my parents divorced when I was eight years old. And so my uh, father, who was very good at managing money, very responsible with his financial life, moved back home to the UP. And so I would see him in the summers and every other Christmas and every other Easter, you know? Um, So during those times, it was him being dad to six kids for a short amount of time. And so financial lessons weren't really necessarily introduced to us or or discussed with us. Um, My mother, on the other hand, was not very good at managing her financial life. Um, She came from a mindset of she needed to be taken care of and needed to have the best of everything. And um, so it was, it was a lot of feast or famine, you know, it's like we would have money and then it would be hurry up and buy everything we can with the money that we have. And then we wouldn't have any money for a long time. And it was like, you know, the lights are getting shut off. There's new food in the fridge. There's, you know, that kind of thing. And so really until I took it upon myself and my 
early 20s to just learn about money and how it works and what it does. Um, You know, when I, it was in college when I realized that there's a such thing as a credit rating and that what you do with your money can actually affect that. And so learning about that, um, I I, I did it myself and I can't say that I was able to fill in all the gaps. You know, I'm still learning about how to really manage a financial life and, and have, you know, take that adult responsibility on. Um, But uh, yeah, so that, that's pretty much self-taught, I would say. Mm. And, and you alluded to that as you, you learned about a credit rating. Um, What were your initial experiences with credit cards? I, I know there's a common story we'll hear about people getting introduced them, even on college campuses, get a freebie kind of thing. What was your experience in that case? That was exactly it. My um, freshman year in college, um, I showed up on campus and it was like a carnival. I mean, there was so much stuff going on. And um, every other table was a credit card company offering you, you know, fill out this application and we'll give you this backpack or we'll give you this T-shirt or something like that. And they don't do that anymore, thank goodness. But uh, so that was that was my first exposure. I had a credit card before. Honestly, again, before I even understood what a credit rating was, I didn't know that I had a credit rating. I thought, cool, they're giving me this money. Um, and so, I mean, that was my first experience too. I, the credit limit was really low. It was like 500. Um, but that was my first experience with getting into credit card trouble. I mean, because of course I spent it right up. You know, I was a college freshman and, um, you know, everybody was always going shopping or something like that. And I would just pull out the credit card and think, well, I'll have it covered later. And then of course you get into, you know, the point where it's maxed out and, you know, then you learn from other people about, well, you can transfer all that to this other card and then you'll get, you know, a little more credit. And and so that was, I was able to get out of that pretty quickly though. Um, You know, I, uh, got a job and, and was paying that off. And I think I had that, you know, I had this one credit card, um, for several years, like well into my thirties, but, you know, it was just, it was the one I had and I used it and I used it responsibly for the most part. But again, it wasn't until like I started taking out student loans for college that I was like, Oh, I have put it what is this credit rating and what does it do and what does that mean? And, and um, how does it go up and down and, and, and stuff like that. So. And, and so, as you said, is, you know, there were some sort of minor fires to put out uh, initially as you were filling in those gaps about how it all worked, but then eventually you described a perfect storm of events that began in 2007. So I'm wondering if you can share more about that. Yeah. Um, and I share in hopes that in sharing, it can help someone else, you know, recognize that number one, you don't have to have a lot of shame around having had events like this happen. I still look back on it and think it was just very traumatic. Um, so yes, in, um, in 2002, I entered my PhD program at Michigan State University. And uh, Prior to that, I worked full time and paid my way through school, never took out a student loan, never did anything like that. And um, and 
in 2000, I got into a relationship with someone I loved very much and uh, pretty much thought, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to spend my life with this person, you know? And, um, uh, and we decided we wanted to have children um, and we're both women. So um, the person I was with was the biological mother and we had a donor and we had our first child and, and it was challenging having a child being new to parenthood and being in graduate school. Um, and then a couple of years later, we had another child. Again, she was the biological mother. Um, and during that time, we began going through the process because Michigan at that time had closed the ability to be able to do second pair adoptions in Michigan. There was like one county where you could do them and they closed it. So um, it was a very, very stressful time. And, um, you know, I was, I was in graduate school. Um, we had two children. And so the first mistake that I made um, was allowing my credit to be used to purchase things that we needed. Um, and maybe not needed so much, wanted and desired, <laughs> perhaps. And, you know, at that time, I had an excellent credit rating. The mortgage was in my name, um, stuff like that. Uh, I had two cars in my name. Um, and I just allowed my credit to be used. And uh, in addition, well, I'll just leave it at that. So I allowed my credit to be used. I just assumed we were going to be together forever. It, you know, everything would be eventually paid off. I was in graduate school. I would come out the other end with a good job. Um, that kind of stuff. And so I allowed that to happen. And um, all the way up into into 2007, um, even though we were having trouble at the time, uh, she wanted to do a major remodel and expansion of our house. So I allowed my credit to be used to finance some of that, as well as um, I had two credit cards, an American Express and a Capital one card um, that she used for like buying appliances, stuff like that. So, um, and then our relationship ended and um, which just threw me sideways. Like I said, I was, I, I didn't expect it. I was suddenly a parent to two children. Um, I didn't plan to be a single parent. I was still trying to do grad school. And I had to leave our home. And so then I was looking for housing for my two daughters and myself. And I literally, like my stuff was in garbage bags on the back porch and I had nothing. I didn't have beds. I didn't have dishes. I didn't have, you know, sort of the most basic things. Um, and I needed to take care of my kids. So once I got an apartment, I got hand-me-down furniture, but pots and pans and silverware and dishes and beds and, and stuff like that. I began, you know, using my credit cards to pay for, um, in my mind, I wasn't thinking about the American express and the capital one card that was out there in my name, but I wasn't using those. I had other credit cards. So I racked up debt on those cards. And then I don't even remember this. I, I think I got a phone call one day 
from American Express saying I was behind on $10,000 worth of debt and um, on this credit card that I didn't even use. Um, so like I said, it was, it was a perfect storm. Um, then, you know, because we were not through the completely through the adoption process and we broke up, um, it was my, the, the person I was with essentially said, you can forgive all this debt that you say I owe you and I'll let you continue to be parent to our kids or you lose your right to be parent to the kids, which I've been with them since their birth. Of course I was their parent. So, um, so I agreed to that. I, you know, I, I did because what are you going to do? You're going to say, well, no, I just won't be a parent anymore. Please pay me all the money that you owe me. I just figured somehow, some way I'll be able to manage it. So, um, and that's what I did. I took it all on and I, I tried really hard for a long time to pay it. I thought I'll get through grad school. I'll get a job. It'll be a good paying job. But at that time, then the economy crashed and people who would normally retire didn't retire. Um, I was an adjunct professor at the time. And in one of the schools that I taught at, um, in the course of five or six years, I watched about nine full-time faculty leave due to health conditions or, or whatever. They were just ready to retire and could. Um, and they never filled any of those positions because they could just fill the classes with adjuncts. So um, even then, you know, the, the whole landscape of, of academic um, career opportunities completely changed right before my eyes. So I was, um, I don't know if you're familiar with, ad, you know, being an adjunct professor, but you get a contract for each semester. So you get a contract 15 weeks at a time. You're never sure if in the next 15 weeks you're going to get a job. Um, you don't get benefits. You don't get retirement. You don't get anything like that. So I was teaching at three colleges, um, trying to make ends meet. Sometimes I would have summer work. Sometimes I wouldn't have summer work. So my credit cards just became my backup. And then I was trying to make payments on all of this other credit card debt. And, you know, the interest charges, they just it amounts to a point where I would be just turning over my whole paycheck to um, just paying off interest charges. So, uh, so then I did what a lot of people do is I just quit paying some of them, you know, I'd keep paying some and quit paying others that I just felt like I just couldn't even get ahead on no matter how hard I tried. Then I, I stopped paying. I quit answering the phone, you know, and part of it was just, feeling overwhelmed and feeling like I don't even know what to do about this. So I'm just going to ignore it. Um, and feeling really ashamed that I was even in the situation. Um, so finally the calls would stop and then I'd get a letter in the mail saying your debt was sold to thus and such company. And my debt went from 5,000 to $12,000. And then, you know, when that, the first time it happened, I called that company. I'm like, listen, here's where I am. I just don't know what to do. You know, I, I'm willing to pay $50 a month, you know, and they were like, no, that's not going to be good enough. You owe us this amount of money. 
So then I would start ignoring them. And then that debt would get sold to another company. And by the time um, I finally, you know, reached out for help about this, it was up to $24,000. So a credit card that was originally $5,000 credit limit ended up being 24, 24, five. Um, and uh, so, I mean, again, you, you, what, what's anybody supposed to do about that? So, and then about that time, um, it was actually that last company with the $24,000 debt started garnishing my wages. And I just, um, I just needed help. So I, that was my first time that I called GreenPath. And it was basically, I found them just through internet searches. Um, you know, first I was just searching what kind of help is there. And then I found a good article that talked about nonprofit um, uh, companies that will help with credit card debt and to help you manage your finances and stuff like that. So I, um, finally reached out to help when I was just absolutely at the end of my rope. And, uh, and the, the person who met with me was so kind and, you know, brought ever, I brought everything in and, um, and she really, really wanted to help, but I just honestly wasn't making enough money per month along with the amount of debt I had. Regina's financial counselor explained that it might be helpful to seek legal advice to explore if bankruptcy might be an option. I kind of left with that and sat with it for a while and fi- and talked to some friends and, and you know people who who I trusted um, and and then and then started the process of I think in 2011 2012 was finally you know my breaking point and that's when I started the process to declare bankruptcy, which, um, you know, that I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to have to (laughs) declare bankruptcy at all. It was, um, again, something that felt very shameful. Um, I felt very irresponsible, uh, for allowing my financial position to get in that state. And, um, at the same time, I had two children to take care of. And um, trying to get my life back on track, and so it was the step I took, and just promised myself that I would never put myself in that position ever again. What 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 sort of goals were you working on in that post bankruptcy period? By that time, I well, one um, just to not put anything on a credit card. <laughs> you know, I mean, that was you know sort of step one. Um, and two, you know, I had by that point been an adjunct professor at multiple colleges for probably at that point was 12 or 13 years. And I just, I knew I needed to change my life in order to get a different type of work where I could earn a better, more stable, consistent living and have things like a retirement account and benefits and stuff like that. So it took a long time from that point, um, from 2012, I think it was 2015 before I was able to get a full-time job. Um, and part of it was that I had been in teaching for so long that what other skills did I have to offer? So I had, I did a lot of volunteer work during that time. 
volunteering for different nonprofit organizations to be able to um, gain more skill in like graphic design. And um, I did a lot of writing and stuff like that. Um, qualified for positions in communications, um, which is what I do now is communications. But I had to kind of re configure my skill set in order to be able to do that. Um, so did a lot of volunteering for three years to be able to gain new skills. And I understand eventually you worked your way towards um, looking into becoming a homeowner. What was that like? During that period of time, you know, the wanting to get a, a full-time job, part of that was the goal is to get, you know, be able to qualify for buying a home. And um, once I did, there are classes that you can take as a, it had been so long since I owned a home, I actually qualified to be a first time homeowner again. Um, and so, in I think 2016 or 2017, I can't remember the exact year. Um, there was a local organization here in Grand Rapids that had one of those classes and you, you went through the class um, to learn about home ownership. And then you take classes through Green Path. So again, Green Path came up in that class that here's where you can go and take these. They were money management classes, learning how to manage and budget, you know, and then you got a certificate at the end. I went through those classes. Um, what I learned the first time was I wasn't quite ready for home ownership. I still had some work to do. I had some savings to get, you know, in order. Um and make sure that I was really ready for it. So then in 2019, I went through the class again. Um, and in that time did do the classes through Green Path and got their certificate and then got a, a home loan. And I'm in a house now, So, um, which I absolutely love. It's one of the, I feel like it's like a gift that I received having this home. And especially the, the housing market was so competitive. Um, and I, I just feel fortunate that I was able to get this house for the price that I needed to get it for, which remained in my budget. So then, yes, then my, um, you know, I, I was really happy to have this house. I was even able to, I had extra money so I could do um, the main thing that had to be done to this house was it needed a new roof. And I was able to, to get that done uh, right when I moved in. Um, so that I wasn't looking at any worse problems down the road. But, you know, that that money was money that, you know, again, I was in a new house. Um, my girls and I didn't have much, you know, uh, to move in with. I, you know, had uh, a couple pieces of furniture. We didn't have beds. We didn't have dressers. We didn't, there were rugs on the floor, stuff like that. So, you know, um, being a new homeowner, I, you know, wanted to make this house ours. And so I started doing buying paint for the walls, buying blinds for the windows, bought us new beds, some kitchen stuff, um, and, and some rugs on the floor and, and, uh, you know, started putting out on credit cards, figuring, oh, it'll be fine. You know, I kept, figuring out the the payment in my mind. I'm like, Oh, it'll be fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, but again, I lost my eye on that, uh, the interest charges because once you start, 
you know, charging up cards. If you don't pay them off in full, then you get the interest charges and then the interest charges start to, you know, mount and mount and it, it's hard to get ahead of them. I never, I never missed any payments. I never, I always paid more than the minimum balance, but I could feel that um, it wouldn't take much to end up falling back to where I was. Uh, and, you know, if, if the payment, I would sit down and look at my budget, look what bills were coming out, look at, you know, look at what I had and then figure out, you know, the, the monthly payments and how I could get these cards pay, paid off. It just seemed like it, I was never going to be able to do it fast enough to stay ahead of the, the charges that were mounting. And so that was the third time that I reached out to Green Path. I, you know, having had two experiences with them, I was able to contact them and see what could be done. And I, 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 I didn't know that I would be able to go on, on the program that I'm on, that they would help me manage this debt. Um, I was mainly looking for advice or, you know, help putting together a budget or whatever. Um, but this has been just a really good experience of, you know, I'm 18 months in, I have a third of my debt paid off. It's, it's made a world of difference for me. So what was it like, you know, like, I, I know you had that initial conversation where you eventually filed bankruptcy, where it just didn't fit in your budget to be able to uh, pay on the debts at that time. So when you did speak to us, uh, to Green Path, uh, a year and a half ago, what was that actual counseling session like? Um, well, of course, we were in the midst of the pandemic. So, you know, we did it all via phone, whereas previous, I would actually come into the office. But, um, you know, it was it was really good because the questions that the counselor on the phone asked me, it helped me really think about like, where 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 is all my money going? You know, I, I'm pretty good now. And I, and I feel again, that the green path has helped me like to really monitor because sometimes you don't, you know, like when they start asking you questions about, well, how much do you pay on haircuts? It's like, oh, well, you know, that's not something that I typically manage in my budget or even save for, um, or, uh, you know, car repairs or clothes and stuff like that. And so you can see where it helped me be able to really see all these places that I don't think about. And when I am creating a budget, I have to think about those things. Because if I'm only thinking about what's in front of me, my, you know, utility bills and my groceries and my gas, I'm not thinking about all the outside things that could happen or that you need, like a haircut or, um, you know, kids needing something for school or, you know, uh, shoes or something like that. Um, so it, it helped me be able to just in that process, be able to see that my financial life is much bigger than I actually was able to think about it. Um, it was also just so such a relief to be able to talk to someone and say, here's where I am. This is what I did. And to be able to say, I need help. Because that's one of the, I think, the hardest things. And when I look back at, at my history, there were other times in my life that if I could have just been honest and said, I need help, that maybe it wouldn't have gotten as bad as it did. So the relief to be able to have this person on the phone who wasn't trying to, um, 
who's an honest broker, who isn't trying to, you know, mislead me or anything to be able to just say, I need help. And, and then being like, okay, so let's take a look at what you have and let's see what we can do and let's see what you can manage. And, um, and that was just really so wonderful. Um, I keep saying relief, but you know, there was just so much stress and it was such a, I had so much fear around it and it helped release some of that fear and anxiety that I had that there was the possibility of getting help. And, and you described that you had um, gone onto a debt management plan, which you're currently on. Um, Mm -hmm. What did you think that that was going to be like versus what was it really like to actually be on a payment plan? Yeah, I, I pretty much thought I'd just be turning over my whole paycheck to Green Pass, <laughs> you know, and that I was going to have to um, struggle to live. I mean, I'm, I'm paying off my debt. That's really, really important. And, um, and taking responsibility is really, really important. And at the same time, the fact is what was important in developing that debt management was, well, what do you need for groceries? You know, it's that whole concept of pay yourself first, like that's built into the process. So, you know, I'm able to still buy groceries, thank God, so I can get to work. And, and yes, you know, I can, you know, make plans to do haircuts and and stuff like that. Um, But so it's, and yet the monthly amount that I pay is manageable so that I don't feel like it's a burden. I feel like I can manage it. A quick bit of context for what Regina says next. Several weeks before our interview, she was interviewed by Susan Tampore, a reporter for the Detroit Free Press, to share her experience with inflation. We'll link to the article in the show notes. When Susan asked me, like, how much have you paid on your debt? I had no idea. I purposely just look. I just, because I don't want to sit there and think, Oh, I've hardly done anything. And I was, so I was amazed to see that a third of it has already been paid off. I was absolutely amazed about that. So, um, you know, it's, it's this cumulative effect that, you know, it eventually gets paid off and it's, it's already there. So it's not like I even have to worry about saving it. It's, you know, I'm making my payment automatically to Green Pass and, and the debt's being taken care of. So it sounds like it's not so much what, yeah, when I heard that, that you hadn't looked at the debt balance, my, my guess was, you know, it could be an avoidance tactic, but it almost sounds like you just are kind of trusting the process and are just focusing on the here and now and those things that you can control and kind of letting it play out. Is, is that accurate or? Yeah, I, I think that's accurate because I mean, I have the app on my phone. I can look anytime, but if I keep checking it every day, it's going to seem like I'm not doing as much as I actually am. So if I just check it once a quarter, you know, I'll be able to see the impact as opposed to seeing in tiny increments every day. And I am trusting the process. So, um, you know, in a few more years, 2025, I will be debt free for the first time since I was 18 years old, (laughs) I will be debt free. And that will feel really, really good. Um, and, and as you've started to pay down your debt, what sort of support have you received? And I'm not even specifically talking financial, even just, you know, emotional support or, or whatnot from friends or family as you've gone through this process. Um, honestly, I don't really share it that much with people. Uh, I, 
apparently I have recently, <laughs> you know, articles and stuff. Um, so more people know about it now, but um, I, I haven't shared it very much. I guess I, I would need to own that there's probably a little shame around it, you know, that like, oh, here she is again, you know, sort of thing. Is she ever going to be able to be grown up enough to take care of her own money? Um, so there's probably that aspect to it. Um, although whenever anybody talks to me about having difficulty at, with that person, I will share with them, you know, you don't have to let it get out of control. There's help. You know, here's this, this, um, this organization green path, they're a nonprofit. Um, you know, they just charge a, a, a you know, the fee they charge helps them continue their work. Um, and, uh, you know, I suggest that they call and I've probably recommended green path to over 10 people in in the past few years, actually, before I even called again in, in 2019, just because I knew green path was a great organization. So, um, so in that way, uh, and doing this, you know, it's about, it's about sharing your experience in order to help others. So. Yeah, because like, and you referenced that you had been interviewed recently for uh, an article that had appeared. Um, yeah, like, what was was that a hard decision at the time, or was that something that you've been wanting to do to to kind of share your story to help others? Or I wouldn't say I was like seeking out opportunities to do it. I just felt like, well, this is what the universe is asking of me, so I'm going to be willing to do it out of gratitude for the help that I've received. Um, so aside from paying down your debt, which is obviously a, a big enough, uh, goal in itself, what are some other financial goals that you might have in the coming months and year? Um, well, you know, the house that I have is older. So, um, I've been kind of making a list of that I would like to do and trying to prioritize them. Um, because some of, of are of course more expensive than others. Um, I'm a big do-it-yourself person, so if there's a YouTube video where I can learn how to do something, I will. So, you know, I'm just looking at what needs to be done, what can I realistically do on my own, and how much will that cost, and can I manage that cost? Because I won't use another credit card. There's just, you know, there's just nothing I'm going to use a credit card on. Um, And so if I can't afford it out of my own budget, then it's not going to happen. And that's okay too. Looking at what do I need to do in the next 10 years or so to be able to prepare my life to be able to actually retire. What are you still uncertain about when it comes to money? I think how to build up an emergency fund, all the you know financial stuff that you talk about, you should have this amount of money saved, you know, many paychecks you should have saved up, you know, in case there's any sort of emergency. And, you know, I just never made enough money to be able to accumulate that much in savings. You alluded to living paycheck to paycheck. And I know that this was kind of brought to the forefront because in the middle of 2021, you started to receive uh, several hundred dollars a month for the advanced child tax care credit. Um, so first let's start there. Once that started to come in, what sort of impact did that have on your budget for the remainder of 2021? It was really helpful. I didn't get a lot. I got 200 and 
$50 a month. Um, cause I just have one, um, minor child and she's, uh, a teenager. So, but it was a really helpful little buffer, um, because, you know, that was, it essentially went to groceries and then the grocery money I could put other places and that really helped. And, um, you know, it may have also though insulated us from the experience of inflation. Um, because as soon as that payment stopped, it seemed like all of a sudden food costs just skyrocketed and it's hard. You know, I budget $150 every two weeks for groceries and that's got to cover two weeks for all of us. And it's been very, very challenging to do that over the past, since January. So, um, so it was very, very helpful. And I just don't even know um, how families with small children, you know, three, four children, how they're managing without that money. Uh, I just, I, I, you know, it's become challenging for me. I'm finding myself buying things I wouldn't normally buy um, just to make sure we have enough food for two weeks, but um, it's not nearly probably as devastating as it is for people with multiple children. So. Yeah. But you definitely felt it. Cause as you said, like oh, after yeah. the end of 2021, that, that got cut off. As and soon so. as it, the very first time I went shopping in January after the new year, I was like, Holy cow, I can't believe, you know, these prices. And it really stunk that I didn't have that extra two fifty to, to put towards food. Yeah. Um, what sort of budgeting tips do you have for, for people in the face of, what you alluded to with rising prices, especially the last year or so. Yeah. Um, you know, I am, I, I do, you know, I have sort of a, a, a monthly budget. Um, but then I also sit down and very specifically for two weeks, plot out a budget and plot out meals. So I know exactly what I'm, going into when I go into the store. Um, I also print out at the beginning of the month, I print out my um, bank statement and I go through and highlight all the areas where I spent money, where I, upon reflection, recognize I really didn't need to spend that money, you know, Um, whether it's a donation to an organization or it was you know, going out to eat or taking my kids out to eat when we could have easily made something at home. I highlight those things and add them up to see what a difference it would have made as I go into the next month to have that additional $108 or, you know, something. So um, it's really easy, especially today with subscriptions. Everything's a subscription. You know, and it seems small, like, well, for $4.99 a month, you can watch these TV shows or for, you know, $1.99 a month, you can do this or read these articles or whatever. And, you know, I went through um, right after, you know, Green Path, I went through and highlighted every subscription I have. And I probably got rid of 10 of them, which saved me an additional almost $60. You talked about some some goals in the coming months and year. 
uh, let's fast forward a little bit. What are some long-term dreams that you might have? I would like to travel. Um, you know, I've always had a dream of traveling. Um, and, and I would like to do that. I've never been out of, uh, North America. I mean, I've been to Canada, I've been to Mexico. Um, but I even traveling, uh, there's a lot of places in the United States I haven't seen yet. I'd love to go to the Grand Canyon. I would like to go out West. I'd love to drive up the California coast, stuff like that. Um, and those are long-term goals for me because, you know, until I'm out of debt and, um, and my house is, you know, secure and in good standing, um, those are things that, you know, that's why I had talked about, you know, getting myself prepared for retirement. I want to be healthy and ready and retire and go travel. I know money is often a taboo subject in our culture. You even talked about your own shame and bringing it up to people that already talked about having money issues, but not necessarily to others. But what are your thoughts on that in, in general, beyond just yourself, but just culturally? Yeah, I well, I, I think that's one of the reasons that, you know, when asked, I want to be able to share my story because it really is something that's stigmatized, um, that, uh, people are, you know, we're, we're culturally, culturally situated to feel like failures if we don't. Um, and you know, there's this sort of putting up a facade and act, acting like everything's okay when everything's falling apart in the, uh, in the background. And those are really dangerous approaches to take. And that's how people end up just absolutely financially devastated. And, I think the more that we can be honest about that, um, the more people are going to be willing to reach out for help. I know a lot more people are probably in the situation that I'm in than are willing to admit it. And, um, and that's just too bad. Um, you know, we, it's too bad that we have situated things in a way that we don't allow for people to make mistakes Yet, I can't say that we we actually prepare people when they're in school to lead a financial life when they leave. I didn't know anything about it. Thank goodness both of my kids have taken personal finance, um, you know, in high school. And so they at least have a bit of an understanding. But, you know, I, I think the shame, um, I think, you know, trauma. Um, you know, when we have experiences of a trauma, whatever that is, um, and whatever it's based on, uh, it, that can affect our financial life and how we manage that. And, um, and, and again, if people can't talk about that, if they can't reach out for help about it, um, if they feel they'll be stigmatized or um, ostracized for having to do that, then, you know, more people are just going to stay silent and suffer. So. And you mentioned your your daughters taking classes in school. Uh, do, do you have conversations about money and or your own experience with them? And if so, what does that look oh, like? I've been having conversations with them since they were tiny kids. I mean, um, gosh, you know, I would take them when they were, you know, three and five to the grocery store and I would hand one the grocery list and the other one the calculator and they would have to sit there and add things up. 
And, you know, I would tell them exactly how much we have to spend. And, um, and so they were very, very good about calculating all of that. Um, and then as they've, they've gotten older, you know, and, and looking at jobs, um, you know, uh, well, my, my daughter who is working right now is automatically putting 10% of what she's earned into her bank account. And she's only working part-time right now. So when she's actually working full-time, we're going to start, you know, looking at what um, avenues can she start investing her money to save it for long-term and, and stuff like that. So, you know, every time I open my mouth up about something about finances, they're like, we know, um, you said, (laughs) we understand, put 10% away, always put 10% away, you know? So hopefully, you know, they can avert many of the, um, pitfalls that I encounter, you know, um, I also, uh, won't let either one of them, uh, take out a student loan. So, um, so, uh, my eldest daughter right now is going to community college, which has been a really great experience for her. And, um, she graduates this spring and she's going to take some time off to work and decide what she really wants to do before she goes and invests in, you know, more education. So, and I, I used to be kind of a hard line as a person who wanted to be a college professor, you are going to have at least a bachelor's degree. And now it's like, well, I don't know. I don't, you know, you might be able to make your way in a different way and not have to have a four-year degree. And so I'm not going to keep pushing that. Um, you know, right now they're both acting very responsibility re- responsible and I'm extremely grateful that they're, they're learning those lessons now um, before they actually launch as adults out in the world. So. Like, so they're, they're, I'm definitely hearing like just from all the practical things that that you might have learned a little bit later that from the age of three you were empowering them with. What about the emotional aspect of of money? Is that something that's been broached with them, or it's obviously a different different side of it? Yeah, you know that's a good point, and I don't know that I've. I mean, I haven't had conversations with them. I know that just by the fact that I'm their parent, they've, you know, had, they've seen me, you know, especially the hard times, how difficult it is to say no when your kid wants something to, you know, have to say no and, um, and stuff like that. Um, But that's actually something I should probably think about having a conversation with them about, you know, I do tell them, you know, don't lend people money, only give people what you actually can afford to lose so that you're not in that dynamic of, you know, lending someone money. Um, We talk about, you know, making sure you're, you're keeping your private things secure, like your social security number and stuff like that. You're not signing on to things, but we haven't done that emotional aspect. and, And that's a really good point. It's something I should actually really think about. Well, Especially as they get older and they begin getting in relationships, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. get those, you know, rose colored glasses. That's exactly what happened to me. <laughs> well, and the good news is the article that we alluded to, which we will link out in our show notes and in this conversation that obviously has come up. So there will be that opportunity to uh, uh, as a, as a jumping off point, perhaps. Um, so speaking of emotions, like what advice would you have for your younger self? 
there are actually multiple ways that I would address that because I can't change the circumstances under which I was raised. Um, and what I, you know, was essentially doing was mimicking the financial habits for a long time of my primary caregiver. I can't change that. Um, perhaps what I would have encouraged my younger self to do is reach out for help. Don't wait until everything has completely collapsed before you reach out for help. Um, I think that even my call, you know, 18 months ago was myself taking that advice. Don't wait until things get absolutely dire because there's help available before that happens. You can avert some of those things. Um, and I would also, I don't know that I would have taken this advice, but, you know, thinking of myself more and taking care of myself more in my relationships, um, you know, not being so willing to just, yeah, here's my social security number. Go ahead take it, do whatever you need to do because I trust you and I love you. And I know you would never hurt me, <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. which is absolutely all the wrong advice. So um, but, you know, I also have to be mindful and grateful that every experience I've had has brought me to where I am today. And I'm really happy with where I am today. And, and so maybe that's making um, lemonade out of lemons, but, um, you know, I do have experience now that I can share with people to hopefully help them not get into the same situation that I did. Um, as a result of those experiences, I think I have given my kids some good foundational knowledge, at least to start with, um, as they begin building their own financial lives. And, um, you know, and my life just continues to get better. So I have to be pretty grateful for all of that right now in my life, I think. Yeah, it, it sounds like, you know, despite some of the the twists and turns that you faced, that they were all learning opportunities that you've now put into practice as you move forward. Right. And I mean, to, I think that is an important component too, to all of this, because had I hung on to all the people who did me wrong sort of thing, um, I would probably still be in the same hole that, you know, I had dug for myself. I mean, you have to, you have to get beyond all of that um, and grow as a person and recognize it as something you can learn from to be able to move forward. So if I were still residing in bitterness, I'd be making probably all the same mistakes and, and not, um, and not be able to be grateful for what I have today. So. It's interesting. Cause that's, that's a, an answer that I've heard from a lot of our guests right? Like advice and then, but like, but I wouldn't change anything in the end. Although to be fair, I think our, uh, it, it's kind of skewed by, I'm only talking to the people that are in a place where they're comfortable sharing their story. And I imagine if I asked you that same question, however many years ago, that 
you know, if I had gotten an interview with you at that time, that it perhaps might've been a different answer potentially, but. Oh, I would have told you the biggest sob story and how I was just, you know, (laughs) it was everybody else's fault, but my own. I mean, that's honestly the approach that I probably would have taken because that's the way I felt at the time. I felt like life was just beating me up. And every time I turned around, I was getting knocked back down. So, you know, and again, if I had been, if I stayed in that spot, I wouldn't be where I am today. So, yeah. Yeah. Any, any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, just, you know, I guess my final thought would be if anybody listening to this is like, well, I'm not sure if I'm really quite to the point that I, you know, need this type of help. I would say if you're listening to this podcast and you're on the website, you probably are at the point where you need that kind of help. So just reach out and get it. You know, maybe your payoff time will be two years or three years, not five years, you know, Um, just get the help and get the knowledge and get the education that you need to be able to move forward and be free. That's what I'm looking forward to is being free, you know. I would love the opportunity in, as you said, about 2025, do a follow-up episode. But until then, um, Regina, thank you so much for joining us, for sharing your story, and for really uh, just being so self-reflective of uh, just how you got to where you are and all all the the things you've learned. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate the opportunity. As always, I'm joined by my co-host Omari uh, for us to reflect on some of the lessons learned from Regina's story. And we're also joined by our newest team member, Shamika. Welcome to the program. Thank you. All right. So my first question is for you, Omari. Um, I was wondering if you might speak to one of the things that Regina alluded to is that how her ability to budget kind of evolved once she went on the debt management plan. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Yeah, definitely. Um, As a counselor, a former financial wellness expert, this is something that we would not only try to coach into some of our clients, but would see as a natural progression where having this sort of uh, forced payment system creates some constraints on your budget, which on the one hand can feel uh, restrictive, obviously. Um, but on the other hand, uh, with the proper coaching and with the proper visibility around your budget, um, it can really help you make more informed decisions on how you spend your money because you know there is, you understand the value of the debt management program, you understand the amount of money that needs to be uh, attributed to that debt management program in order to get the results that you want to get to or in order to accomplish your goals. So you have that goal motivation as as well as this sort of artificial constraint or uh, budget restraint or budget, budget constraints that allow you to make more financially uh, healthy decisions. In addition to that, um, adding something like uh, a daily visibility uh, on your expenses, whether you do that through a paycheck planner or an app on your phone or just uh, using your your notepad and your ledger, but keeping track of your expenses becomes a lot more practical now that you have this thing that's attached to a goal at the end. So it's definitely something that we see with a lot of our clients. Absolutely. And it's it's just kind of uh, a 
less obvious uh, benefit of the debt management plan. Obviously, people are coming to us for the debt part of their goal, but the budgeting aspect, uh, as, as you alluded to, gets uh, in, a, in a much better place. As we consider Regina's story, one of the things that uh, was talked about is the fact that when her relationship ended, she was uh, the recipient of unexpected debt, basically. And obviously, every situation, every relationship is is unique. But I do think that there could be an opportunity to lift up some universal uh, type of, of advice for our listeners. So, Shamika, I was wondering if you might speak to that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So while every relationship is indeed unique and has its own nuances, one thing that I think is universal is communication. Definitely communication in regards to finances um, in general, of course, but definitely making sure you and your partner or whoever are on the same page when it comes to um, what you plan on doing together. Just whether you may have any disagreements or anything like that, but as long as you both are in the know of what's happening, keeping that communication open and as transparent as possible is definitely going to be the best way to go. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, obviously when when things reach a conflict kind of stage, it's easier said than done to do that. But it's also during those times where things are good that that could still be a nice opportunity for there to be awareness from all parties involved as, as you're looking at this. Obviously not an easy thing by any stretch, um, but uh, definitely worth it, as, as, as you said. Um, another theme that, that came up, and we saw this towards the end of Regina's story, was she, she talked about how earlier on in her journey that she was in very much of a blame space and eventually she decided to kind of let things go um, to, to take responsibility over what she could control. And that's not just speaking to the emotional aspect of it, which is obviously its own journey, but just speaking practically from a financial sense, the more her mindset reached a point where she was focusing on those things she could control, she had more options in front of her to address you know, what her situation turned out to be, in her case, to be able to pay down her credit cards, to work towards home ownership and, and things like that. Um, so it, it really just speaks to the importance of mindset. And again, I don't wanna minimize to say like, it is not an easy thing to just kind of flip that switch and, and let go when it comes to, to blame and things like that. But it just struck me as how, uh, and just in her own words of how important that was to her success in her journey. Omari, one other thing that she mentioned too, as she's having money conversations with her children, uh, was her philosophy when it came to lending money. I was wondering if you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think she really spoke to some hard lessons that she had to learn, um, coming out of some experiences with her partner where the level of communication maybe wasn't adequate to, or for, for many different reasons, didn't uh, lend her the results that she was looking for. And one of the hard lessons that she learned out of that was this idea that you don't lend money that you can't afford to lose. Um, and that's something, I mean, that's a, a really interesting uh, and difficult life lesson because I do think that people have, um, not to get overly philosophical on us, but I do think that most people have an altruistic 
core where like the idea of doing a good thing for a human is appealing and has value. Furthermore, um, the nature of how difficult some of the struggles and some of the systemic um, inequities that allow for difficult journeys through life make it such that sometimes those good deeds may not be rewarded the same way um, or the, even the fact that a reward shouldn't even really be necessary. But the idea that um, lending out this money to someone may end up in a scenario where they are unable to repay. Um, and, and it could be a good way to avoid stress and to keep uh, a relatively positive outlook and to keep relationships, perhaps more importantly, intact to recognize that if, you know, if I'm lending out this money, um, maybe it's a good idea. And I know that, and I recognize that this can't be the case for everyone, but if you're in a position to lend money, it could be a good idea to consider that it's likely or possible that you might not get it back. So being able to budget and plan for the, the uh, outcome where you don't get that, that money back um, should be something that you consider when you are putting yourself in a position to help someone else. So um, I think it's a really, it's a hard lesson to learn, uh, but I do think that there's a lot of value there. Um, and it says a lot about the nature of people and, and the society that we live in. Absolutely. And as, as we kind of tie together all the things we've talked about, one thing that sticks out to me is all these things kind of boil down to mindset shift. Um, the mindset of budgeting when you're in more of a structured debt repayment uh, environment, the mindset when it comes to communication and, and trust with your partner and how you approach that, certainly the mindset of getting away from a blame space as you're working on your financial goals, if that's possible. And as you just said, Omari, the mindset of lending money, but only if you know that you can afford to to lose it. So I thank both of you. Omari, thank you as always. And Shamika, it's so great to have you uh, joining our podcast. Look for, looking forward to so much more to come. Yes, thank you. Thank you. As we wind down today's episode, I have one quick favor to ask. Would you be willing to rate or review us on Apple Podcasts? It's true, getting new reviews does give us that tingly feeling that we're making a difference. But more importantly, the more reviews we get, the more we'll show up in searches, which means more people will hear our stories and realize that they're not alone facing their money obstacles. Special thanks to Hero for our theme music, which will play us out. Here's hoping each of you enjoy your journey of financial wellness as much as your destination. Welcome back, hero.